This year is the 50th anniversary of the building of the Berlin Wall, and it's time to look back on it and learn from that history. And we're joined by Fabian Ruger, who is a Berliner who lived through this story and who today is working on his Ph.D. on the Berlin Wall at Stanford University. Fabian, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Fabian, 50 years ago this year, 1961, the East German government builds this wall. Yes. Tell us why they built it and just describe the, the scene in 1961. The East German government was losing 2,000 people a day in the summer of 1961, running away into free West Berlin to escape from there to Western Europe. And at that rate, clearly the East German communist economy would very soon collapse. Therefore, they had to keep their people from running away and then in an overnight operation seal the entire city of West Berlin off with barbed wire. Must have been an incredible time. Describe the wall physically. Once the city had been surrounded overnight with barbed wire, they started at first building a bricks and mortar wall, which was then month by month and over the years replaced with a um, about 13 feet high concrete wall. Then um, right behind it, a 30 to 40 feet deep control zone with barbed wire in it and another backup wall so that anyone trying to get through this kind of death zone into West Berlin would get shot in this death zone. So sort of a cleared out no man's land where you, you couldn't even venture into there without being in the sights of the guards. Yes, very much And so. lots of guard towers all the way around. 100 miles long around the city. So it stayed up until 1989, and during that 28 years, quite a bloody history. Yes, many East Germans tried to escape. Nonetheless, some succeeded... Um, we have an estimate today that probably over 1,200 people managed to escape physically through, over, or underneath the Berlin Wall by digging tunnels, by using hand gliders, using ropes. Um, 1,200 escaped, that's a That's a rough estimate. And how many people died? Um, we know that for a fact that at least 120 died. Um, now, the odds sound good, but you have to remember that many East Germans get arrested before they even get to make an escape attempt uh, over the Berlin Wall. So the number of attempts is much, much higher than uh, those two numbers combined. So you said 1,200 went over, through, or under the wall in those 28 years. What was yes. the most common way to escape? What was the easiest way to get out of there? In the first years, the East German regime had no way to find out whether you were digging a tunnel from a house nearby West Berlin. And so tunnel digging became pretty much a Berlin sport. West Berliners often had to help digging those tunnels. In fact, most tunnels were dug by West Berliners for their East German and East Berlin friends. Uh, the East German regime, you see, they couldn't check whether you were digging a tunnel, but they could check whether you were buying shovels. So these things were under very tight control of the East German security system, and therefore West Berliners often helped by digging tunnels for the East German relatives. Wow. So somebody goes down to the hardware store, buys four shovels. Exactly. You, you're on a list. You're on a list, and you might be watched. Now, if you want to learn more about the escape attempts in Berlin, where do you go? You would go to the uh, museum at Checkpoint Charlie, which is really the museum for escape attempts in Berlin. It's and, an incredible museum. Yes, and a cool thing about the Checkpoint Charlie Museum it captures the euphoria on that day, November 9, 1989. The, the excitement when suddenly, nobody even anticipated it, the wall's down. Yes. In fact, I lived in West Berlin at the time. I went to bed that evening, not anticipating anything. And then about 1.30 at night, my phone rings and a good friend calls and says, we should go out now. And I, of course, had no idea what was going on. So I said, why should I go out now? It's 1.30 at night. And he said, didn't you hear? The wall has just opened up. And I, th I had actually seen the East German press conference on television in which they announced that soon they might allow East Germans to travel. And so at that point, the general media 
anticipation had been that in a few weeks these Germans would be able, maybe, to travel. So I said to my friend, I think you got that wrong. I watched television in the afternoon and they uh, were pretty sure that this would take a couple of weeks for the wall to open. And my friend lost his patience at this moment with me and said, turn on the bloody television. <laughs> They're dancing on top of the wall. Exactly. <laughs> so, it sounds to me like a, like a human equivalent of a flood, a water flood. A little trickle first and then poof, it just can't be stopped. It is an incredible story. That night, the East Germans, right after this press conference, the demonstrators on the street pretty much decided that the East German government, if they're already allowing in a couple of weeks, why not right now? And they suddenly went to the border control stations and basically forced the wall open. So when you think about visiting Berlin today, of course, you go to Checkpoint Charlie to see the, the history of the escape attempts and the building of the wall and the day it came down. What survives of the wall actually today? This former 100-mile, I love this name, anti-fascist protective rampart. <laughs> it made everyone laugh at yeah, the time. It's so ridiculous that anybody would believe that. What survives today of the wall if you actually want to see some of the wall? Of the over 100 miles, there is about altogether one mile left, standing in its original... Because in the euphoria, they were just tearing it down like mad, and probably finally somebody said, hey, wait a minute, for history's sake, let's, let's save just a little bit of it. Right. It was probably the most hated building construction thing in Berlin, and so between 1989 and 1999, most of it was taken down. Tell me about this phenomenon of the wallpeckers. Well... Initially, as the wall opens, almost 24 hours within, East Germans started hacking at the wall to really destroy it. And then, of course, everyone who realized who was in Berlin at the time that this was really history happening, and people already started deciding, taking little pieces out of the wall for themselves to keep as a souvenir. So what was initially meant as a destruction of the wall became a souvenir hunt, and uh, then, of course, the whole thing also became very good business. So the city of Berlin has enough concrete left and sells pieces to this day. And there's now little bits of concrete that probably have nothing to do with the wall that are painted like with graffiti. And then they go, here, you want a piece of the wall? The concrete is still original. A hundred miles of concrete wall is a lot of concrete. I guess that's true. But the uh, color you get onto these little pieces is, of course, often sprayed on okay. afterwards. What is it called? The East Side Gallery? Yes, that's one of the longest strips of the wall that's still original. And is it actually uh, allowed for people to go paint their graffiti on it? it? It was meant as an art project. It was the last long strip of wall we had in, in Berlin. And the mayor decided that artists should be hired, each be given a couple of square feet to put a piece of art on there. Artists from over 100 countries it's in the world. It's a fascinating walk. It's yes. a long walk, and you've got graffiti artists all the way along. And it's some quite nice, powerful, political, edgy art. It's wonderful. Fabian, take us to Berlin today, and how can we enjoy this city in transition as it knits itself quite effectively back together? The city of Berlin has at least done one remarkable thing to keep a reminder to the Berlin Wall and the city's division. They have built a memorial line to the Berlin Wall along the stretch where the wall ran. So often you can cross in the streets of Berlin a line of bricks laid into the tar running across the street sometimes. So the entire circle of where the wall stood is now memorialized with embedded bricks around the town. Yes. You can walk along the wall and take a look at the eastern and western side and you can often, I mean in most cases, no longer tell the difference. And ugly as the wall was, part of the wall was along the Spree River, the river that cuts through Berlin. Today there's nothing ugly about the Spree River. Oh no. It's also where the German parliament is standing. The wall really ran right by the traditional German parliament building, the Reichstag. And Potsdamer Platz was the Times Square of Europe in the 1920s, I believe. Then, suddenly, no man's land. And then today, once again, incredible office park. And fantastic new architecture. Um, buildings by Rehm Kohlhaas, skyscrapers. 
Fabian, when you think of the Brandenburg Gate in the context of the whole wall experience, the Brandenburg Gate to me is such a symbol of, of Germany. What are moments in the Brandenburg Gate's history as part of the whole wall story? There's, I would say, three images that come to mind to me immediately. The first is Napoleon riding into Berlin triumphantly in 1806 through the Brandenburg Gate, taking the city of Berlin and actually greeted by the Berliners as a kind of French liberator who would bring uh, French democracy, which he then didn't, and that made the French then very unpopular in Berlin. History played out simply differently. The second image is uh, during John F. Kennedy's famous visit to Berlin. He drives by the Brandenburg Gate together with German Chancellor Adenauer and the West Berlin mayor. They drive up to the gate. The wall has already been built. And the East German communist regime does not want John F. Kennedy to look through the Brandenburg Gate into East Berlin. So they hung long communist banners down the gate so he couldn't look through it. That's on uh, numerous famous photos. And then, of course, the third set of images that remind everyone of the Brandenburg Gate is the people dancing on the wall in front of it on the night of November 10 to 11, 1989, when the wall opens up. Tell me about the Pink Floyd concert. Pink Floyd played at the Berlin Wall after it had opened, but I remember most famously, in 1987, the city of Berlin celebrated its 750th anniversary, and on that occasion, there was a major rock concert and right at the Reichstag, which happens to be near the Berlin Wall. And that concert happened on, of course, the West Berlin side. And in East Germany, many people wanted to listen to that concert. So they tried to get as close to it as possible. Uh, there were a number of bands playing. Genesis was playing, David Bowie was playing, Eurythmics were playing. And uh, I was actually at that concert having no idea that just a mile from me, on the other side of the Spree River in East Germany, East Germans, young East Germans of my age, were arrested trying to listen to that concert and shouting for it actually to be opened up, the wall to be opened up. So this is two years over. before the wall was this opened. This is just two years before the wall You have the all these opens. great bands playing in the West, on the wall, attracting young people all over East Berlin to come against that. Yeah. As a Berliner, everybody has different ideas about Ronald Reagan, but as a Berliner, when Reagan declared Gorbachev tear down this wall, what do you think? To be honest, when I lived in West Berlin at the time, I thought this is going to go nowhere. I thought this would never happen. So I thought it was an illusionary demand, not knowing, of course, that East Germany was already in its foundations shaking. It wasn't really up to Mr. Gorbachev at this point to open up the wall. He had already signaled to the East Germans that he really didn't want that thing there anymore anyhow. But uh, the East German government had dug in and uh, behaved quite Stalinist at the point and declared that same summer after Reagan's speech that the wall would be standing there for at least another 100 years. Of course, we know that was not the case. Well, 50 years later, we all have a lot to be thankful for that that ugly wall is now history. Fabian Ruger, thanks so much for joining us and giving us a little angle on the Berlin Wall from the perspective of a Berliner. Thank you for having me. Each year, Rick Steves' tour guides take free-spirited travelers on escorted tours all over Europe, one small group at a time. This year, we're featuring tours of Germany, Austria and Switzerland, Berlin, Prague and Vienna, and the heart of Belgium and Holland. For a free catalog and Rick's Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour pages at ricksteves.com. <laughs>